that we're that Christmas is right now over. I hate that because uh, I, I've got a whole lot of more Christmas messages I wanted to preach. <laughs> I've got I've got hung up, you know, and so I've <laughs> I'm not near done. I think we ought to extend it, you know. Maybe we ought to well, maybe we ought to do the Orthodox Christmas and, and what, go to January the sixth. I don't know, but uh, uh, I've I, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, in the scripture this, this season, and I'm very thankful for what the Lord has done, and uh, I appreciate all that the Lord continues to do. Last week, we looked at the message of the Magi out of the book of Matthew, chapter number two. This morning, we'll be looking at the message of the manger found in the book of Luke, chapter number two. I will just read a couple of verses here for you. Look in Luke, chapter number two, I'm in, in verse number six, and the Bible says, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so that manger has become a symbol and I want to look at the message of that symbol and those symbols around the birth of Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And Father, we, I pray that you would help us now to be found faithful in the Word of God and speak to our hearts and give us that above and beyond which we're capable. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you so much and please be seated. Last week, we talked about three recurring themes that kept, kept recurring uh, the, with, with, with the wise men. And from the pronouncement of the angels to what the wise men said when they came to Herod and then the gifts that they brought, they emphasized the humanity of Christ. They emphasized the royalty of Christ and they emphasized the sovereignty of Christ. And so, uh, but, but a, lot, a lot, two out of three, the, the royalty and then the sovereignty, his deity. And that's what those gifts represented. Uh, those, uh, uh, the gold represented his royalty. The, the frankincense, that was used by the priest in an offering. That represented his deity. And then, of course, the myrrh represented his, his humanity. Well, Luke doesn't mention wise men. Uh, Matthew mentions wise men because he is emphasizing uh, Christ was the king of the Jews. And that's the whole emphasis of the book of Matthew. Uh, Luke, on the other hand, uh, takes quite a different approach. Uh, Luke tells a similar story, but he emphasizes uh, that Christ was the Son of Man. And he was indeed 100% the Son of God, and he was indeed 100% the Son of Man at the same time. He wasn't 50-50, he was the God-man. He was all God and all man, all at the same time. And, but Luke spends time emphasizing things uh, concerning his humanity. And of course, that myrrh that the wise men brought dealt with that, but Luke breaks that down in a much more profound way. And so I want to look at the message uh, that we find in the book of Luke, chapter number two, concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look what the scripture says in verse number seven. The Bible says in the last part of the phrase, said, because there was no room for them in the inn. No room for them in the inn. Well, I want to say to you this morning that uh, there still 
no room for the Lord Jesus Christ in so many uh, of things. There's, there are folks who uh, they have tried to X him out. They have tried to uh, do all these things. But I want you to understand that uh, in, in this passage, the thing that amazes me about this was that it wasn't like that they were going to a strange place. It wasn't like that they were going to some place that was foreign to them. They were going home. Bethlehem was the town of David. And both of them, their ancestry, both Mary and Joseph, uh, came from David. And so even though they may have been distant, I want you to understand that the people that, it, 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 was, it, was, it was their own people. In other words, they ended up in a cattle shed. Nobody offered for this expecting lady to, to give up their room in the inn. And they were related, although distantly, but maybe they shared the same name. Same, I mean, they were no strangers to Bethlehem. They were no strangers to that place. Oftentimes, we don't fully understand that. We think, well, you know, they were in a foreign place and in a foreign country. It wasn't that way at all. This was Bethlehem, beloved Bethlehem. They went back home, if you will, at the decree of Caesar Augustus that the scriptures might be fulfilled, Micah 5, 2, uh, thou Bethlehem of, uh, uh, of Ephrata, are the least among the princes of Judah. But uh, th that's where the Christ child would come. And so uh, Caesar Augustus put the whole world in motion to accomplish Mary and Joseph to be in the right place at the right time. But I want you to understand what the Bible tells us. John gives us a little bit of commentary. John said he came unto his own. And I want to say that literally he came unto his own. He came to, these are Jews, these are Jews, okay? Not only are they Jews, this is the area that was given to Judea, to Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, this whole region is Judah. This is all of their, their kinspeople, okay? And then specifically this town was the, was the city of David, and so he came unto his own, and John says it this way, and he, he, he gives reference here, even though indirectly, uh, he said, John said, and his own received him not. Now we know that in our broader scope, the Jews would reject him altogether, uh, you know, at, at the end of his life, but I want you to understand, they rejected him at the beginning of his life. And a lot of people don't understand that th there was no room for him in the end. And so, uh, how, how much of, of, of that is true, how much of that continues to be true, how much of that uh, that we see even today. I think about what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, uh, if I can find Galatians in my Bible. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians 4, and in verse number 4, the Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, when the fullness of time was come, was come. I want you to understand that Christ being born in a manger was a sign of the times. It was the right time. It was the exact time. And I want to say it this way. Humanity had stooped to an all-time low. Understand this. The Jewish religion was the only way that God, in other words, the only communion that God had with man was through the things contained in this Old Testament. 
And if you wanted to have communion with God, you either abode by that and you, you say, well, what if they weren't Jews? Well, they could become a proselyte. And so they were Jewish proselytes like the Ethiopian unit, no doubt. And so you had, but you had to convert and you had to become a Jew. You had to observe the law of Moses. That was your only hope in having access to, to, to God. It was, it was all there was. But I want you to understand that the Jewish religion had deteriorated to the point of nothing more than Jewish ritual. Do you understand that when Zechariah went into that temple, it is the first time in 400 years that we have any record of God saying anything to his people. It, it doesn't seem like much, but if you take your Bible and turn to, to Matthew chapter number one, and you look at that blank page that's between, uh, in most Bibles, you'll have a blank page or you'll have something. Uh, mine says New Testament of our Lord. Uh, I've got a blank page on one side and a New Testament uh, on the other side. Do you realize that piece of paper represents 400 years? How many people came and died in 400 years? How many people, how many generations, if generations are 40 years, how many generations came and went in that length of time? And they did so never hearing a word from God. When we close out the book of Malachi, when we close out the history of the, of the Jewish race in the Old Testament, they're back in the land. They're having temple worship. And it looks like business is picking up. But then God turns, lets, lets them to, leaves them to themselves. And they just go through the motions. And that's all they got, just the motions. And when, when the New Testament opens, we've got all kinds of stuff. We've got synagogues that are, that are out separate from the temple. We've got a group called the Pharisees. They were the conservatives that, uh, that didn't, wouldn't know God if they met him in the center of the road. They, they didn't know him. And then you got the Sadducees. They were the liberals. And they were the outfit. They didn't believe in anything. But they went through liberal motion, and that's all it was, just, just ritual and motion. But they didn't believe anything. Then you had another group called the Herodians. And the Herodians, they were, uh, they were religious, but they were a secular outfit that they backed Herod. And they were it's a group of Jews that were all about Herod, and they promoted Herod's causes. You imagine that? So I said, why would they do that? Because he built the temple. He rebuilt the temple, and, and he did all this stuff for them. And, uh, but the thing about it is, he'd just soon kill them as not. They, 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 they tell me that uh, he took a, uh, a, wooden, a wooden symbol of an eagle. And where they go in, there was a, uh, I don't know what, it, what to call it exactly, but there was almost like a, uh, a, a rotunda or something that went across toward the entrance to the temple. And he could actually sit there and look down. And he took a big a wooden eagle, the symbol of Rome, and posted that thing over top of that door. Well, you know what they did? They tore it down immediately. They wouldn't have that in the interest of the temple. Well, what he didn't know was the wooden one was, was the mold. He had already had a gold one cast. <laughs> the wooden one was just the mold that they carved it out of, and they used that to make the cast to make the gold one. He put the wooden one up just to show, prove the point, and when they tore it down, then he put a gold one up. 
and threatened to kill anybody who'd take it to dare touch it. And I think people died over that, over that eagle, over the door, over the symbol of Rome, over the door, over the entryway. Not maybe the door, but the, the entry area to... Uh, so what I'm saying is it, it meant nothing to him. He was, he was interested in creating one of the wonders of the world. He was interested in tourism. He was interested in a lot of things and the temple generating. Uh, but it meant nothing to him as far as any, any religious value whatsoever. Absolutely not. I think about what he did in Matthew chapter number 2. The Bible says that uh, he, uh, he said to the wise men when they came, he said, when you find him, come again, bring me word that I may go and worship him. He had no intention of worshiping him, but rather the Bible says that he sent and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so uh, no room in the end was a sign of the times. I was listening uh, to a song coming in and it was a, it was a song that's got a bluegrass flair to it and it, the title was You Can't Stop Christmas. And I've talked about how Herod tried to stop it, how the different ones tried to stop it, but you can't stop Christmas. Well, I want you to understand that uh, he, he sure tried uh, and they try to, and even the song says, got us something about Xing him out. Well, they try to X him out uh, and, and call it Xmas, but the bottom line, uh, you can't stop Christmas, amen. He came anyway, and whether you like it or whether you acknowledge it, it doesn't matter. Your calendar testifies. When you hang a new calendar here in a week, when you hang that calendar, whether you like it or not, you are testifying that he came to this world, amen. And I heard a fellow say this year, said, Anybody that knows anything about, about the world, I mean, been anywhere in the world, you know that something big happened back in time because it, it, it shook the whole earth. And it did. It certainly did. And it's amazing how much Christmas is celebrated even in Hindu and Muslim and Buddhist countries. Uh, the Western culture has permeated a little bit. And while it may not all be sacred, but if you just say the word Christmas, you're testifying that there was some, something big took place, the Christ of Christmas. And so it was a sign of the times. That was part of the message. But also part of the message was that to, to declare and to demonstrate sin's toil. The Bible says they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes what I can read, most people will tell you that uh, it is similar. If you've ever seen, you know, or, or, you know, had any dealings with a mummy, how that they would wrap, they would soak uh, strips of cloth and soak it in, in, in er, uh, aloes and myrrh, and they would wrap a body with it, and they would mummify a body with, with strips of cloth. Well, anybody ever had a cast put on your arm? How do they do a cast? A cast is done in strips. And they put it in that plaster paris or whatever the new stuff is with fiberglass. They activate it and they put a strip and they put it on warm, you know. And they put it on and put another one on and they just keep it. They put a sock on it and then they keep putting it on and, it, and eventually it solidifies and makes something solid. Well, that was kind of the process of mummification or for, for burial. Well, from what we can tell, the swaddling clothes were pretty much that. 
it was rags. It was, it was rags that the baby was wrapped in. And in all other cultures, uh, especially in, in South America, I don't know why, uh, but they wrap a baby up really, really tight. I've noticed that I've been to a couple of deliveries not too, not too distant past, and I noticed the nurses are doing that. They'll take a real little soft blanket, and they get them, and they wrap that baby up and just tuck it up, and it's like it's just squished, you know. But they said that the baby actually is comforted by that. That the, the, the baby used to being in his mother's womb, it, it feels some pressure, it feels some comfort uh, from, from, those, from, from that cloth and from being bound, if you will, uh, in that. Well, I want you to understand that those rags, he wasn't dressed in royal apparel. He wasn't dressed in, you know, he, he was dressed in, in rags, if you will, those swaddling clothes. What, what's that about, preacher? Well, it was to illustrate and to demonstrate how, how deeply uh, sin, the toll of sin, the toll of sin, what sin had cost. Uh, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, make no mistake about it, he, he left the splendors of glory. He was rich. But then Paul told the Corinthian church, and gives us some insight on why we, those swaddling clothes. Yet for your sake, he became poor. To be wrapped in rags when you're born, that's pretty poor. Not even a receiving blanket, but wrapped in rags. Just rags. Swaddling clothes. He was swaddled. Uh, the scripture says that through his poverty, uh, through his poverty, we might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 9. And when I can't help but every time I think about those swaddling clothes, and I think about sin's toll and what it had, the toll it had taken on, uh, on humanity. And somebody said, oh, listen. But yeah, look at all the, look, look, at, look, at, look at the palaces and look at all of the, uh, of the, ad, uh, the, the, the advances that we've made. Well, uh, Isaiah said something about that. Isaiah said, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. That's what Isaiah said about it. To be discarded and thrown away. Not something to be reused, not something to be washed, but to be discarded and thrown away. That's the idea that is conveyed. A filthy rag, you know, I, I, don't, I don't work on the transmission on the truck and then take that and put it in the washing machine. Hey, when it gets that bad, you throw it away. You know, there's a point. You, that's why rags are for, right? You get them so that you can discard them. And that's the idea. They got a one-way purpose. They're going to be used and they're going to be discarded. Well, I want you to understand the best that humankind has ever mustered. And boy, there are people that would argue with this statement. Because right now, I'm thinking about how, you know, the technological advances and think about how the pomp and circumstance and the grandeur and how far man has come and all the things. But if you look, especially at Christmas time, if you look around, you see just how low we've stooped and just how far we've come the wrong way. And Christ was wrapped in swaddling clothes to demonstrate the scope of sin's toll. Well, look what the Bible says uh, in uh, the Bible says, and was laid 
in a manger. Laid in a manger in Luke chapter number 2. I'm talking about the message of the manger. Uh, it was a sign of the times. It was sin's toll. But I want you to also understand that he was laid in a manger as a symbol of his tenderness. You see, the manger was where the sheep were fed. And the manger was the focal point. And so if he was to be the Lamb of God, why, certainly why would he not be laid in a manger? Amen? And so, uh, think about this. Nobody guards the manger. It's open. The manger, you don't, I mean, there's no guard standing to keep the shepherds out at the manger. Uh, the manger is accessible. The animals can come and go. And so he was completely uh, accessible. There were no intermediaries to, to be passed by or to, uh, there was no one that you had to get cleared through to go see him. Those angels walked right in. Best of the tell, those wise men walked right in. There was no guard posted over the barn. No guard posted over the manger. Of course not. And nobody, I thought about this. They, there was no priest standing there to interview those shepherds as they come in. There, were no, there was no priest standing there that you had to confess to before you could, before you could see him. There was no uh, you know, the shepherds would probably be carrying their lambs and they would come bring them in with them if they had lambs. And, uh, and, and there was no priest there going through the hair of them and trying to see if he could find a blemish. No. No, no. The manger was accessible. And the manger showed his softness and his tenderness. If he'd been born in a palace, they'd have been guards. If he'd been born in a palace, you'd have had to have an invitation. If he'd been born uh, in a palace, uh, there would have been a whole lot of restrictions and rules. But I got good news. Hallelujah. He says even, even in his ascension, even, in, even as he sits on the right hand of God the Father, he tells us to come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's what he says. That's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine. To boldly enter into the presence of the creator of the universe. But that's exactly what you do every time you bow your head. Amen. You enter into the presence of the creator of the universe. Unrestricted, unfettered. You just come. You just come. James said we have not because we ask not. The, the, the problem's not in him not giving. The problem's us not asking. He wants us to ask. He wants us to come. Sometimes, do you ever feel like you aggravate God? <laughs> you ever felt that way? I've, I've apologized before. Lord, I, I hate to keep bringing this up. <laughs> I've said that. Lord, I hate to keep bringing this up, but <clears throat> sure would be good, Lord. You know, if you could do something about this. I, you feel guilty. But on the other hand, how, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. I, I think about, uh, you, what, what about, I mean, you know, you, you, get, a, you get a youngin' and they're wanting something for Christmas. And they're wanting a new bike. And they've done told you what color it is and they told you all about it. And you say to them, hey, you went and bought that bike early. It's, that bike's been in the attic for, for three months. And you say to your youngin, well, now, son, don't get your hopes up. 
Just don't, don't, don't get your hopes up now. Santa Claus is broke this year. Just don't get your hopes up. You know, I, I wouldn't. Now, son, you, you, listen. Now, you're going to be happy with if you get roller skates, right? You're going to be okay, right? Don't get your hopes up. Is that right? We play it down. We don't say, hey, son, that bicycle's been in the attic for three months. What you fretting over? Oh, we love to hear. We love to hear them, you know, talk about it. We love to hear them plan about it. That's, that's half the fun of Christmas, isn't it? About what you're going to get, and you think about it, and you, work, and you look at the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and you look at the picture, and, and, and you circle it, and, and you... Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, it's kind of like going online, but different, okay? And uh, you... You know, you, you look at it and you, and you wish, it's called the wish book. They would issue a special Sears and Roebuck catalog at Christmas. And it was the wish book. And when the wish book come out, every kid I knew, son was down circling stuff. I mean, they were going after, you know. And oh, you wish and wish and wish and wish and wish and won't, 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 won't. I hesitate to tell this. I, I don't like telling it but I think maybe I ought to. About the only thing that you could buy, that is the five and dime was in town, but about the only place in, in Brevard that you could buy anything of any size, bicycles and the like, was the Western Auto. And uh, our neighbor, Crawford Freeman, ran it and, uh, for years. And everybody went to the Western Auto. I tell you where it was at. It's where Plaza Garibaldi's is at. That was the Western Auto. And back in the day, you'd go to town on Saturday night and window shop. And everybody go to town on Saturday night, and they'd walk up and down the streets. And you'd go to Wards and get you some popcorn. And uh, my brother got a pea shooter, and was him and my cousin were playing on the streets. Everybody'd always meet down there on Saturday nights. There's a playing, and one run into the other and jobbed his tonsil out, like I, like I killed him. Uh, had to, had finally, I think, had to have them removed. But, uh, you know, but that was, you'd play on the streets, and that was just part of it. And you'd win the shop. Boy, you'd look at all that stuff up downstairs. And, of course, the kids all go to Western Auto and look at what was in this window. And they had bicycles, and they had wagons, and they had all this stuff. But they had a Lionel train and uh, a, an 027 gauge, I believe it was. Lionel train. And, boy, what boy didn't want a Lionel train? And so there was one there in the, in the window, and uh, I wanted it. Well, I only got to see my dad. I'd, you know, I'd see him like every other weekend. And so my mom and dad were separated, and, and she had remarried, and uh, he was an alcoholic. And so I only got to see him on occasion. So early on, I took him down there and showed him that train. Well, back then, they had layaway. So you'd lay it away, and you'd go by and pay on it. And you'd pay on it up till Christmas, and everybody go get their Christmas out of layaway. As before, MasterCard and Visa, all right? So I realize I'm talking strange to a lot of folks, but there was no credit, so that you paid for it, and then you got it. You didn't get it, and then pay for it for two years. You got it. You paid for it, then you got it. You could go down to Mims and Lottie and lay away a stove, a refrigerator, living room furniture. And then you go pay on it, and then you could go get it out when you got it all paid for. That's the way they did it. Uh, you know, uh, what Mims and Lighty, and then what was the other one? Uh, uh, there up out above Belks, what was the name of that one? Furniture, Houston's Furniture. You go to Houston's, you could lay stuff away. Well, 
My dad laid that away, and he told me he did. He laid that away. Well, right before Christmas, he, he, he started he's getting, his, getting on a Christmas drunk, and he went to the Western Auto and put that train back out and got his money. And that liked to crush me. I mean, it just about crushed me. And I, 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 I told that story years ago. And then years ago, my staff went together and bought me a train as an adult. I've got a train at my house. And we put it around the Christmas tree. And that train runs and goes around the Christmas tree. I've got that train. It was about 30 years in coming. But I've got a train. But I'll say this. Your earthly father will let you down. But your heavenly father never will. Rest assured, your heavenly father never will. And if, he don't get, if you don't get it, it's because you don't need it or it would do you harm. That's why. He, 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 he hears, amen. And he is, he's tender. And, and, and Matthew said, uh, said come, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Hallelujah. The best thing I ever found was that easy yoke. The Bible says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, can I share a couple more? Why was Jesus laid in the What's the message of the manger? So we've talked about those things that were present. But then there are those things that were absent. You see, by being born in a manger... He was showing contempt for the pomp and the riches of this world. I mean, the creator of the world could have created anything he wanted. The creator of the world could have arranged anything he wanted for his birth. But he rejected all of those things. I mean, he could have touched the heart of the innkeeper. And the innkeeper could have put him in, in his room. And the innkeeper could have stayed in the stall. But he didn't. Why was that? It was necessary to show that the things that we hold so dear, the things that we hold with such prize and value, number one, they're just temp they're temporary. They're temporal, they're of this world, but they're also temporary. They're just temporary. There's coming a day that you'll take nothing with you. If you ever notice, there's not a trailer hitch on the back of a hearse. They don't pull U-Haul trailers behind hearses. There's no need for it. The Spanish have a, have a custom of throwing stuff in the grave. And they'll go buy brand new stuff, brand new hats, and they'll buy liquor, and they'll buy all kinds, and they'll throw it in the grave and put it down in, that, in, in the grave then they're with them. But the bottom line is all that's doing is making you feel better about it. Person in that grave, it don't help them one lick. Not one lick at all. I want you to understand. The scripture says in Luke 16, Christ made this statement. He said, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. I'm not talking about you having nice things. 
but I'm talking about nice things having you. And that's where the problem lies. He came into this world with nothing. And he left this world. They gambled for what few things that he had. He left no land. He left nothing behind. And some would say, well, if he didn't, you know, didn't leave a, a heritage to his children and grandchildren, hey, he left a heritage to the mankind, hallelujah. Amen. But he didn't do it through the means that this world does it. He shunned that which was temporal and that which was temporary and, and showed contempt for the riches of this world. And then I thought about this. So for Christmas yesterday, we was opening gifts, and my son got a blanket, and it was so soft, uh, and there was some clothes, and they said it felt like butter. They were so silky and so smooth. It was like, but I want you to understand, what would Mary and Joseph, what would they have had that was silky and smooth? They were poor. Silky and smooth was for the rich. They didn't have anything like that. They had stuff that was scratchy, stuff that was itchy. A lot of people don't remember using flour sacks, using feed sacks. A lot of people don't remember that. You know the reason that those things come with a stripe on them? It was made to reuse. And many a young'un went to school with a flyer sack shirt or a flyer sack blouse. It happened. Or a feed sack. And it's true. I'm very serious. Now, they'd wash it and they'd put it on a scrub board and they would try to make it as soft as they could. But I want you to understand, you can only do so much with a feed sack. A feed sack's a feed sack. You know, I don't care how much you wash it. It's still a feed sack. You know, and they didn't have downy back then. They'd starch it. It'd stand alone in the corner, but they didn't have downy, you know. They'd starch so far out of it, but they'd, they'd what, 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 not, not make it soft. But I want you to understand that he was born in, in the, cold of, the cold of night with straw for his bed, wrapped in rags, and it was too Identify him with human sufferings and trials. At Christmas time, we all, all of us, to a degree, start thinking about those that have less or those that have nothing. One of the saddest things I've ever done is visit the children's hospital at Christmas and give out gifts. That's just one of the saddest things you'll ever do. The jail at Christmas, sad place. The hospitals, the jails, the funeral home at Christmas is a sad place. There were people who had funerals yesterday. What, oh, how sad, how tough, how, how difficult, how hard that is. And somebody said, boy, preacher, you know, y'all have all got all this stuff and you, you don't. But boy, I, 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 my Christmas, I had nothing. And I, all, I want you to understand, there's never been a man or a woman boy or girl, ever suffered more than the Lord Jesus suffered. And from the day he came into this world to the day he left it, never anyone ever suffered more than he did. Never. And so I want you to understand 
that He came to identify with our sufferings and with our trials. You see, He was born the Son of Man. This is what Luke emphasized. He had left the glories of heaven and He had descended down to our level. And can I say this? At the lowest point, shepherds came. Today we hold, you know, we, shepherds somehow or another, we kind of think of them as being, I don't know, something maybe romantic about shepherds. Shepherds were anything but. Shepherds smelt bad. Shepherds were, were they were tough. They were, they were outdoorsmen. They were almost like homeless people. And they, they dressed in layers and they didn't have a lot. And they had, a lot of times they were loners and they had more to do with the sheep than they did with human beings. They didn't, a lot of times they didn't, you know, very few type A personalities among shepherds. They were recluses and they were, and they were considered by some to be the outcasts. By some they were considered to be the lowest of the low. To, to tell somebody you're a shepherd. You remember when, do you remember when Joseph was bringing the family down to Egypt? <clears throat> and, he, and he told them, <laughs> Don't, don't tell Pharaoh what you do for a living. <laughs> Remember that? And the emphasis is put on cattle because the, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. They loathed shepherds. You know, in this country, did you ever thought, think about it? Beef is our number one product. Years ago, this is years ago, the Mormons, a lot of the Mormons were shepherds. And people hated them because they come through with the sheep and they would eat the grass and eat it plumb down and they would destroy it basically. If they didn't keep them moving fast enough, the sheep would destroy the pastors and they hated them. And they were persecuted, not so much for their false religion, but they were persecuted for being shepherds. And isn't it interesting that we eat the far out of pigs, but we don't eat sheep much. Sheep's a clean animal and pigs not. Although I had a ham yesterday, it's pretty good. And uh, well, you, the way you clean them hams is you, you, you honey bake them, all right, and spiral slice them. They're pretty good when you, yeah. And uh, somebody asked me the other day, what kind of Baptist are you? I said, I'm a bacon eating Baptist. Amen. Say amen right there. But we, won't, we don't eat sheep, we don't eat goats. When people say, shoo, a goat? Well, if you. If you <laughs> If you skin a deer and a goat and hang them side by side, you can't hardly tell the difference. But we don't eat goats. We don't eat sheep. We eat the far out of pigs and chickens and, and cows, though, don't we? But there was a certain loathing about sheep, even in this country. It was carried in, and it, was, it, it carried forth. And so all of that fills, figures in to the sufferings and trials. He had shepherds for his attendants when he was born. He was laid in a manger, wrapped in those swaddling clothes. And somebody said, why, preacher, why? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us just a little glimpse of it. He said, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Amen. That's a common Hebraism to say something in the negative, to emphasize the positive. And so what he was saying is we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Yes, we can. Yes, we do. And he says this, 
But he was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted. He was tried. He went through trial after trial after trial. And he was familiar. Isaiah said that he was acquainted with grief. Acquainted with grief. Did you know in your Bible, I can show you on more than one occasion where Jesus wept, but I cannot show you one time where he laughed. We assume that he did, but I, can't, I ain't never found it. I've never, I've never found one time where Jesus laughed, but I found where he cried. When Jesus said, who do people say that I am? One of the answers was Jeremiah's. What was Jeremiah known as? The weeping prophet. Why do you think they likened the Lord Jesus unto Jeremiah? You think it was because of his constant laughter? I, probably not. Because he was acquainted with grief. I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ the, the manger was not plan B. The manger was not something that just randomly happened and made a mark in history. The manger was a part of the plan of the mind of God. And God chose the manger of Bethlehem to be the place that His Son would make His first public appearance into this old sin-cursed earth. And I'm glad to report to you today you see, I get blessed when I see the wise men come in. I don't reckon I've ever seen a play that the wise men came that I didn't get blessed. When they bow, I get blessed by that. I mean, I just do. One of the highlights if I see a nativity is when those wise men come in. Oh, it just thrills me. Those camels, I've seen... Live to tell his head camels and the camels bow and the men get off and they're all dressed in, in jewels and riches and they come up and present their gifts. I get blessed by that. But truthfully, I can't identify with those guys. I really can't. I don't know much about that. I don't know much about that whole, that, that life and that lifestyle. But boy, I can't identify. I can't identify with Sheep and shepherds. Saturday before Sherathon this year, I was at the livestock auction in Canton. Why I went to Saturday before Sherathon, I do not know, but I did. And I took the grandkids with me, and it was cold, and folks was there. And there's a big stage-like thing, and people sit in kind of a concrete arena that sets around. And there's this stage, and this stage, they have two chutes. One comes in, one comes out, and the auctioneer sets up behind it. And so the animals come in, and then they're auctioning them off. They tell about it, and then they auction it off, and then they leave. And this chute is designed for bulls and horses. They bring them in, and they, they sell horses and, and, and cattle. But at this sale, it was a small animal sale, and they started out with just the little stuff, and in walked a little five-week-old Katahdin ram. 
I say walked in, they carried him in and set him down. He was about this big, about as big wide as this pulpit, or the, top, the desk part. About that high, I think he weighed five pounds. He was still being bottle fed, little white sheep. They set him down in the middle of the arena and his legs were shaking. And he looked around and he cried, bye, bye, bye. Well, I made the mistake. My grandsons were to my right. And I looked at them and they looked at me. And I thought, I can resist that. I've developed sales resistance. I can resist that. You boys will look all you want to. You ain't getting that. No, I've made my mind up. My foot is set, my foot is put down and I'm done. That's it. I can't be talked into it by no man. And I glance to my left and there's my granddaughter. And there's those big old eyes. And she's not crying, but her eyes are full of water. And she says, Papa, I told you I made my mind up. No man was going to talk me into it. I never said anything about a little girl, all right? I, 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 I held my ground. No man did talk me into it. But when I looked at her, I grabbed my card and put it up and just held it. I guess I'd have went home if I had to make payments on that stinking thing. I think I give $75 for a five-week-old lamb. Not realizing that what bottle feeding entailed. If you ever bottle fed a lamb, don't try it. It's a full-time job. I had Sherathon, and so Shanna had to take over the lamb. And I mean, it was continuous care. I mean, it's continuous. It's like a baby. And it was weak, and it was, and she took that thing and nursed it to health. After Sherathon, I took over. She could just speak, and that thing would come running to her. To this day, when she pulls in with a certain vehicle, that thing will come running to that car because it bonded with her. Well, after that, it bonded with me. And today, that sheep loves me. I, he, it, he thinks he's somebody. Or, or at worst, he thinks he's a German shepherd. I used to let him ride in my lap. I used to let him ride in the truck and we'd go places and he, I'd, I'd ride around with the sheep in the truck with me. And he, you know, he'd look out the window and he'd just, you know. My wife went through Chick-fil-A with him in the, her lap. And the Chick-fil-A person said, is that a lamb? She said, yeah. He said, that's what I thought. And just kept right on. You know. After having a lamb, after raising one, after seeing how helpless and vulnerable and easily distracted that they are, I'll pour the feed in the trough. And Benjamin, the lamb, will chase me with an empty bucket. And I'm going, look, I just put, you saw me. I just put the feed in the trough. It's over there. Go over there and eat. But no, he wants to follow me with an empty bucket. How many times do we follow an empty bucket around? How many times do we do the very same thing? Here's God's best. Here it is. All you got to do is partake of it. But no, we're running around chasing an empty bucket. May God help us. The Bible says, And she brought forth, forth her firstborn son, 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Can we bow our heads together?